If you have your word this morning, we're going to be in James chapter 5. I'll give you a minute kind of to get there. Hear how quiet it is in here? I don't like it. It's weird. It's weird. Um, good morning. Um, that wasn't that wasn't a rowdy people. Good morning. Good morning. There now we're getting there. There's three people. I'm, I'm, somebody's with me this morning. We're good. Um, man, um, this has been kind of in my brain since before we even got past the first song this morning. But uh, in just a second, we're gonna pray. Uh, we've been talking a lot about prayer the past few weeks, and uh, in, in just a second, we're gonna do that together. Um, I feel like sometimes uh, in the church we make prayer like a spectator sport, don't you? Like we all kind of sit there and, and we just kind of listen to whoever's praying. And, 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 you know, churches, they pick out the best prayers, I guess. Who knows? Or the most willing um, one to, to come up front and to, and to give this kind of presentation of prayer. Um, but we're not like that at here um, at all. Um, we don't do that. And intentionally so, we don't do that a whole lot. Um, but this morning as we were praying, um, and we were, like Gina kind of stepped off the mic, I, I kind of sat there for a minute, and I was like, man, it's so quiet in here. It's so quiet in here, um, which is weird, um, because I kind of wonder, like, what, what are we doing there? What are we doing in that space? Um, see, the reality of it is the reason we back off the mic and we don't lead prayers a whole lot around here is because... I don't know what you need. I've no idea what you need. Uh, some of you guys may be little bits and pieces, but in, in reality, we're not very vulnerable with each other, and, and, and I have no idea the depths of, of your heart. But that's your moment, just in, in, in the chaos of things. Uh, when nobody's listening to you, when you're not presenting a prayer, and, and no one is presenting a prayer to you, that you can just speak to God, that you can cry out to him, and in just a second, I know this is going to be weird for some of you, which is great. I love awkward stuff anyway. Um, but we're going to pray together. We've been talking about prayer for three, four weeks now. Um, and that's great. You can sit up here and you can talk about it for eternity. But man, if it never takes place, if it never happens, if, if the motion of prayer never begins, nothing's going to be different um, for any of us. And I'll just be honest, I believe in prayer. Amen? I believe in prayer. I'm still foolish enough to say that, I guess. Scientifically, people would laugh at me for that, and I get that. Um, but I believe in it, and I've seen it. I've seen God answer it. And um, this morning, before we do anything, before we go anywhere, we're going to pray together. I'm going to cut the mute button off on this thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get me. I'm going to mute me so you can't hear me, and then we're going to pray. And we'll quit when, when it gets a little rowdy. Um, and so if you don't do it, this could be an awkward 30 to 45 minutes. <laughs> I'm holding you prayer hostage this morning. Um, but I believe it. Um, I believe it so much that we made it intentionally part of the DNA of this place. It's part of who we are. So this morning, I'm, I'm hitting the mute. <laughs> and if you're sitting there listening to the person beside you, you need to start praying that God will change your heart. <laughs> Because um, it's not for, prayer is not for you. It's for him. So let's pray. Um, and when we get rowdy, I'll, I'll jump in, I guess. But let's pray. You just show up. God, that you just show up in an amazing way, in a, in a special way, in a spectacular way. God, that in this moment when we are, are, are cutting our hearts bare to you, God, this moment when, when we're saying, Jesus, it is about you, and God, we will pray to you, and God, we will talk to you, and God, even if it's a challenge for some of us, even if it's weird for some of us, even if we don't even have the words to say, even if for five seconds we got out of, hey, Jesus, this morning, God, it's something because, God, this is not a moment where we come and we just listen to someone else encounter you. God, it's not a side show. It's a moment where, God, we have the ability to come into your presence or we have the ability to meet with you, God. So, God, this morning, we want to come. 
God, this morning we want to come close. And God, this morning we want to draw in and draw near to you. And we ask, God, that you will draw right back to us. God, even in this moment, you can feel there's a, there's a new kind of special kind of power in the room when your people who will call out to your name and humbly seek your face, God, you said you will, you will look at us. So God, this morning, we, we're looking to you and we're seeking your face. God, and we're asking that you'll look right back and you'll see us and you'll speak to us. God, this morning, we need you. God, this morning we want to see you. And Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. See, what's amazing about that is even right now it's different, isn't it? Do you feel that? you feel that room shift in that moment? I hope you did. I did. <laughs> it's kind of crazy, actually. We were in a room without God just a second ago. I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> Maybe he was with you, but he wasn't with us. And then in that moment when we just said, you know what, God, I'm going to give up <laughs> to you today, and I'm going to intentionally encounter you today, God shows up. And I just want you to know that's available every time you walk in this building, if you'll just quit stiff-arming God. God, people might look at me funny. That's great. Let that be their problem. God, I can't lift my hand to you this morning because somebody might look at me funny. Well, then <laughs> I seriously question where our brain is. God gave you that hand. If he tells you to raise it up, you raise it up. Amen. God, I can't pray out loud. Somebody might look at me funny. God gave you the ability to wake up and breathe this morning. You use that breath for him. Let's not worry about people looking at us funny. We're a funny people. Amen. Scientifically, we're on the losing side of things. I just want, I want you to know, they will tell you there's something weird about you um, because you believe, refresh your memory on what Christianity is for a second, you believe that God actually physically came to earth, was born in a baby's body. That's weird in itself. Lived 33 and a half years, never sinned, never messed up, never did a bad thing, and at the end of that, somebody killed him on a cross. They murdered him. And then they put him in a hole and three days later, he come up out of that hole. Scientifically, that's not even a reality. We're a weird people. Amen? You believe that there was a guy who was dead and is now not dead. That's a weird thing. You are a weird people. Let's not be caught up in the details of the weird. Oh, I can't pray. They might think I'm weird. You believe Jesus died and then came back. You're already weird. Pray. You believe Jesus died and they put him in a hole and he come back out and you're afraid to lift your hand? And let's just be open to what God wants and not be worried about what people think. It'll change you. Amen. <laughs> We're going to get to the Bible, I promise. <laughs> no more awkward hostage captivities till later. Um, but I just, I do want to say something really quick about this. It's a little plug. Um, this is um, a card, a flyer, if you will, for our Christmas Eve gathering, which is a pretty big deal to us. Um, normally it's a pretty big deal to us because Christmas is not on Sunday morning, that's um, on Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, this year it's on Sunday, so uh, I'll tell you something about that in just a second, but this is still a big deal to us. Um, and if you miss this, you're gonna be sad about that for a while. Um, so I'm just gonna say, um, Christmas Eve at five o'clock, uh, you need to be here, and you need to be in one of these seats, and you need to have people with you. If you eat on Christmas Eve, that's great. Bring them here, and then you can all leave and go eat. That'll be an amazing thing. Um, but we're going to meet with Jesus for just a little while and pause and say, God, it's about you. Right. On uh, December 24th at 5 o'clock, and we want you to be here, and we want you to bring people with you. Um, second part of that is Christmas is on Sunday this year. So I'm going to be here. I don't know who else can or will or whatever, but I'm going to be here. Um, and if you want to be here, you can be here. Uh, I know some of you guys are going to be in Japan or wherever your family is. Um, and you're going to be doing stuff like that, and that's great. And this is not to be like, hey, you better be here. We're going to pray for you. <laughs> but I'm going to be here. Um, and if you aren't doing anything at 1030 on Christmas morning, I, I would like you to be here with me uh, for just a moment. And let's just sing about Jesus and talk about him for a moment. So I'm excited about that. 
I don't know if you're excited about that, but I'm excited about that. Um, doesn't sound like it. We'll try again. I'm excited about that. Um, good. Fake excitement. That's great. Um, it's good. Hey, got to get it from somewhere. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, I just want to invite you guys to that with me. Um, but this morning, we're going to be in James chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, you can go there. Hopefully, you're already kind of in that direction. Uh, just look at somebody next to you real quick and tell them good morning. That was, that was so sweet. Good morning. Um, maybe. There we go. Um, see, we're going to test this out on camera one Sunday morning. I'm gonna, we're going to get them to do the same thing over there. And be like, and we're just going to put it up here. So turn to somebody and say good morning, and you're going to be like this because uh, <laughs> they're going to do it. Um, we're going to show you up with the kids. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but really, I'm excited to be here this morning with you guys. And if my voice holds out, uh, we'll talk about the Bible. And if it doesn't, um, Nikki's going to preach. Um, I just volunteered you for that. Um, but <laughs> um, this morning, we're going to be in James 5, and I'm so excited to continue this series with you guys. We've been talking about um, prayer for the last few weeks in the series, This I Pray. And um, if you've not been here, uh, it's pretty simple. We've been talking about prayer. And if you have been here, uh, it's also pretty simple. We're talking about prayer. And um, what I mean by that is not strictly what words you put together or how you put words together um, to elicit some response from God. I think that's what a lot of us think about when we think about prayer. Well, you start off with this thing, and then you say this in the middle, and then you end with this thing, and then there's an amen, and then hopefully, maybe, um, God will do something. And that's what we think of when we think about prayer, and that's unfortunately not what prayer is at all. It may have been what we've been taught, that may have been what we've thought, um, but just over the past few weeks, we've seen, man, prayer is not really as much about just saying some magic formula to get some response from God, but it's a moment where we can actually speak to God. Isn't that amazing? Because see, the reality of it is you can't pull out your cell phone. You can do a lot of things. But you can't pull out your cell phone right now and just call God up and be like, hey, God, um, it's me. How are you? I'm good. I'm God. I'm always good. Um, you can't do that. And you can't jump on the computer and like email God and you can't write God a letter. Um, you can't do any of those things. But right now, where you are in this moment and then where you're going after you leave here and where you're going tonight and where you'll be tomorrow morning and all those places without the help of a cell phone or a computer or anything else, you have this ability to actually speak to God the creator. And he has the ability to speak right back to you. And that's an amazing thing to me. I just want to follow that up with prayer is a powerful thing. Amen? Amen. I believe that still. And it's maybe not the popular thing to believe. I think maybe 60 years ago, that was a popular thing to believe in the church. I remember when I was a little kid in church, I couldn't tell you an age because it was sometime, um, but it was a long time ago. Um, I would sit in church and I would see people who, man, they really believed in the power of prayer. Amen? Some of you guys were there, and you, you know. These people would pray these things and they would get up with this boldness and they'd be like man God's gonna do this God's gonna answer this God's gonna and then <laughs> crazy thing is he did and as I got older and older and older what I'm noticing is man there's a whole lot less of that talk amen and I just want you to know this morning that nothing's changed about God the problem is not actually with him um, because prayer is still a powerful thing over the past few weeks, man, it's been kind of crazy to me what some of, these, some of these things have come out and some of these messages. It's been an amazing time to go through. But this morning, we're going to be in James chapter 5, and we're going to talk a little bit about that power of prayer. Um, in, in James 5, it actually has a little super title right above 13, and it says, Effective Prayer. Prayer that gets somewhere. See, I think the reality of why most of us don't feel like prayer is powerful is for most of us, prayer doesn't get anywhere, does it? If we'll just be honest this morning, if we'll just be truthful, most of the time when we get done praying, how we feel about that prayer is, man, it didn't get anywhere past like the top of our head, right? Maybe the ceiling, but like it didn't make it all the way into heaven for some reason. And then, you know, we, we leave like that. But I, I just want to 
ask you, man, are we really praying anything other than God, wake me up in the morning? Or God, bless this food, whatever that means. Are we? Maybe for some of you, yes. But for most of us, no. Because really we think that somehow we can supply our needs. Or we think maybe somehow we can take care of the problem. Or we think maybe somehow all the answers lie with us. And the reality this morning is none of the answers lie with you. You didn't even get out of bed this morning on your own power. You didn't take that breath. You just took on your own power. All that is from God and it's his grace. And somehow it's got mixed around in our brain. And this morning we're going to look in verse 13 in the next few verses about this idea of effective prayer. This book, James, is probably one of my favorite books in the New Testament. It's written by James, the half-brother of Jesus, a man who would have grown up with Jesus. That's crazy to me to think that like Jesus is a little kid and he's got a little brother and and all the stories that we don't know in the Bible because they're not in there, James was around for. That's pretty cool to me. And James grew up, I'll just be honest, and and lived Jesus' entire life without ever believing that Jesus was the Son of God. James never believed Jesus was the Son of God while Jesus was alive. Now, that may seem crazy. You're like, how did he not? He saw the miracles. He, he saw how this kid taught. Like, even when he was 12, he was teaching about um, God in the temple, and he taught better than the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who had went to synagogue school. He, 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 he taught better than them when he was 12 years old, yet he still didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And I just want to say, if your brother walked up to you, and he was like, hey, I just want you to know I'm the Messiah, um, the Savior of the world, you'd probably not believe it either, Right? Doesn't matter what he can do. You're like, no, brother. Um, <laughs> I know your mom and your dad, and I just don't believe that. So for all of Jesus' life, James doesn't believe that Jesus is the Savior. He doesn't believe he's the Messiah. He, he doesn't follow him around in the woods. He doesn't go be homeless with him. He doesn't do any of that stuff. He goes about his life, and he thinks probably all those years, my brother is crazy. <laughs> my brother's nuts. But then something changes. After Jesus dies and he's buried, Jesus does this amazing thing. He comes back to life. That's undeniable. And in that moment when James here is looking at his brother who he just saw die on on the cross, I guarantee he was in the crowd. His brother who he just saw bleed, and he's like, there's no way anybody can survive that. Yet here you are standing in front of me. When he sees the undeniable proof of the resurrected Jesus, he's like, oh my gosh, something has to change in me. And he goes from, I'm not a believer and my brother's crazy to, oh my gosh, I didn't see this before. My brother is the Messiah. And now I'm going to believe. And not only am I going to believe, I'm going to become the leader at the church of Jerusalem. He, He becomes a believer and then over time he becomes the leader at this church at Jerusalem. And then he writes this book to the early church, probably the first book in the New Testament chronologically. That's an amazing story to me. What I just want to say out of that story is it doesn't really matter how long you've been sitting around in this building with Jesus. There, there's, there's the ability to be around Jesus yet not believe Jesus. I've seen it happen. I've seen people 50, 60 years old who've been in church all their life and they come down one day and they get saved and they're like, I don't know what happened. Like I, I always came and I always heard and it was good, but I, I never really knew but I also want to say it's never too late. Amen. Grew up with him. And Jesus still, you rejected me every day I was here and I'm still going to take you. It's never too late. And then he writes this letter to the early church and this letter deals a lot with how to live out our faith. And then in chapter five, he kind of closes out this letter with this idea of effective prayer. He starts off in 13 and he says, is anyone among you suffering? Now this is obviously not a brilliant question because in any group of any number of people over one, you're probably going to find somebody who's suffering, right? I guarantee you actually when he wrote this letter to all the Christians all across uh, the globe at that moment, everybody who said they believe in Jesus, there were people out there who were suffering. 
There were people out there who had converted from some other religion to follow this religion that everybody thought was a sham, a joke. I guarantee you there were people suffering. I guarantee you there were people that their parents had disowned them. I guarantee you there were people who were in economic trouble because when they started to believe in Jesus, they got shunned from their community. I guarantee you there were people that were homeless that were reading this letter. There were people that were suffering from all different things. But yet he asked this question, is anyone around you suffering? When you remember, he's writing this letter to the church. See, somewhere in our brains, we got this idea that once we come to know Jesus, there's no more suffering, right? If we know Jesus and we're doing good at the knowing Jesus thing, we'll just come to church and like do the church stuff, then everything will be okay. I've actually heard people way back before uh, preach things like that. Once you come to know Jesus, everything's going to be all right. Well, that's true spiritually. Physically, there's still going to be trouble and heartache and eventually death. All that stuff's going to happen. See, the reality of life is life comes with suffering. doesn't matter who you are. Without Jesus, there are people suffering, and with Jesus, there are people suffering. It's, it's part of the deal. And he asks this question, is anyone suffering? And you're like, well, what a dumb question, James. And then he says this, he follows it up with a statement. He says, well, he should pray. It seems very simple, doesn't it? Is anyone suffering? I could ask that this morning if I did a scientific poll. Um, <laughs> there would be some of you guys that came out on the yes side of that. And he gives us this dumb answer, right? Is anyone suffering? He should pray. Now I need like the 12-step program. <laughs> I need the like, you do this and you do this and you do this and you do this. It's got to be harder than that, right? Like it can't just be that simple. Is anyone suffering? Oh, obviously pray. That's the deal. That's the thing. But yet he just gives us that little thing. If anybody's suffering, he should pray. There's two groups of people in the building this morning. There's one that's the cynical side. And you're saying, that's dumb. I've done that. Right? That's okay. I've tried that. And nothing. I've prayed. And still no answer. That's a reality. There's another group of people in the building this morning that are like me, and you're like, man, why didn't I think of that, right? (laughs) Because I'm a fixer. That's what I do. When something goes wrong, I'm the one that's like, okay, I got to do this and this and this. How am I going to get myself to the next spot or out of this situation or around this obstacle? That's me. I'm, I'm not the cynical one. I'm the I'm too dumb to do the praying thing one. Because I'm, I'm a fixer. But it's the same answer for both groups of people. He didn't say unless you've tried it and it didn't work. He just said you should pray. And then he goes on. He says, is anyone cheerful? Again, if somebody's asking a group of very many people, there's going to be somebody that's cheerful. There's always that annoying person that's always happy. You know them. You've thought of a name probably already. Um, There's always that person, right? It's always happy. Like, it doesn't matter what the day is. It doesn't matter what's going on. doesn't matter how early it is. And you, like, wake up early and you don't want to be there. And they come up and they're like, good morning and bubbly. And you're like, go away. Uh, there's that person. There's always somebody that's that way, that's happy. And he says to them, he should sing praises. If there's anyone cheerful, if there's anyone obviously excited, he should sing praises. I thought this was weird that it was included in here because it's talking about effective prayer, right? But we equate praise with songs. That's what we think of it as the entire time. Like, that's all it is, right? Praise is what happens when you get to the bridge. The music gets louder and then you do this thing and that's praise, right? But here, if it's talking about prayer and you don't separate it from that context, then it means, man, even even in our even in our words to God, we praise Him, and even in our lives towards God, we praise Him. That singing praise to God, yes, means in the song, but it also means with our hearts, with our words. I think of that moment in the Bible where Jesus heals all those people, and then all those people walk away, and then one guy comes back, right? Thanks. All the nine guys are like, <laughs> "That was great. I don't need you anymore." But here in prayer, it talks about even even praising God in our prayer. 
It goes on, it says, is anyone among you sick? Again, if there's a group of very many people, somebody probably is sick. I'm not feeling super awesome this morning, but I don't think that's what he's talking about. He says, anybody in the group here, anybody in the church, anybody that knows Jesus sick? See, sickness is also very much a part of life. There's gonna be sick people. I'm gonna be sick sometimes. You're gonna be sick sometimes. Some of you guys are sick now. And sometimes it's a cold and sometimes it's something way worse than that. But the reality of it is, it's just part of being in this body. Eddie, he starts out as anybody in, in the group sick. And he says, if so... He should call the elders or the leaders of the church and they should pray over him after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. Now this even seems weird, right? This was the one that like, I'm like, I don't know about that because I can do the pray thing and I can do the praise thing, but I don't know about coming up in front of a room full of people and people gathering around you and then like getting olive oil. Why do you need that out and doing the whole olive oil thing? Like I don't, I don't even maybe understand that all the time. That's a little weird to me. But here he says, man, if somebody's sick, they should call the elders or the leaders of the church together and, and they should pray over them after anointing them with olive oil in the name of the Lord. And I was like, how in the world, why do you, why do you need olive oil? It's weird, it's something you cook with. Like, why do you, why do, you do that? So I looked it up, I'll just be honest. I, I, I can Google things, I don't know everything, but I can find most information. Olive oil in the Bible is significant because it's a sign of um, Jesus, not just because Jesus prayed in the garden. Um, to get olive oil, you can't just go and squish olives. Do you know that? Like I could take a handful of olives up here and I could squish them all and I would have zero olive oil at the end, but I would have this like white kind of pasty substance that would come out of the olive. It's apparently bitter. I don't like olives. I don't have any idea why anybody would want the bitter paste from an olive Crushing an olive doesn't actually get you anything. It's only after an olive is crushed with extreme pressure. Regular pressure won't do anything, but extreme pressure does a lot uh, that you get olive oil. And olive oil um, is, when you crush it with extreme pressure, it removes the bitterness from the olive. And all of this is uh, biblically significant because Jesus wasn't just crushed, right? He was crushed under the weight of the sin and the shame and the guilt of the entire world. And when that happened, man, it removed all the bitterness from sin, shame, and guilt, right? So when we come, it says to come up to the front of the room and to pray and to get the olive oil out, not as a sign that we're doing something awesome, but that Jesus is removing the bitterness, that, that through the cross and through what Jesus has done, that this can be accomplished and it, it should be accomplished. And this is something that James here says early on in the church that we should do. And then he doubles down in 15 and he says, the prayer of faith will save the sick person. Don't you love that? Will save? Not a prayer of faith might save a sick person or a prayer of faith could possibly save a sick person or a prayer of faith should, if you do everything right and you get the right kind of brand of olive oil, save the sick person. doesn't say any of that stuff, but it says a prayer of faith will, like a certainty, it's gonna happen, save the sick person. And the, and the Lord, listen to this, he goes on. And the Lord will, again, it's gonna happen, certainty. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. The prayer of faith isn't something that can only heal our physical sickness, although it will but it's something that can heal spiritual sickness. What, what he means by that is not um, that you can go and pray for your relatives and they will, they will be safe. That's not how that works. I can't pray to remove your sin. You gotta do that for yourself. I can, I can pray that God will convict you and, and God will remove your sins, but it's still a contract between you and God. I can't surprise save people. That's not, <laughs> here's what I got you for Christmas. I prayed for your salvation and there it is. It's amazing. I can't do that. But it's here James even says that we have the ability to pray for others to come to know God or to come to know Jesus or for their sins to be forgiven and then God will work on that person. 
and then we will see the outcome. Some of you guys have been praying for somebody to come to know Jesus for a while, and here he's like, keep, keep it up, right? In 16, it says, therefore, because of this, if you ever see that, go back and read a couple verses. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. This is my least favorite verse in the Bible. I love the book of James except for this verse, right? Because the reality of it is that's the scariest thing that God could ever put in that Bible. Therefore, because praying for other people um, has some effect on sin, here he says that we as the church should confess our sins to each other. But the reality of it is I don't want you to know. I would rather you not know that. But here in the word of God it says that that's something that we should do. That's something probably I would guarantee that 99% of us would never, ever want to do, right? Because the reality of it is, man, we walk in this place every week like we have it all together. It doesn't matter what yesterday looked like. It actually doesn't even matter what happened in the car on the way here, right? You could literally have pulled a knife on your person riding with you in the car. And you're going to walk in holding hands. You're going to hold my hand. You're going to like it because we're going to get back in the car and it won't be a threat then, right? We don't walk in this building mad, do we? Maybe we do, but we don't show it. We don't walk in this building hurting, do we? Maybe we do, but we don't show it. We don't walk in this building ashamed or afraid. And if we do, we don't show it. Because in reality, man, we think of that as something that's for me. It's not for them. And it's probably for most of us fear that someone will talk about us or fear that someone will, will take that beyond that person to the next person and the next person and it'll get around. And, and in reality, you have to know what a safe place looks like because a lot of times it does. But none of that negates the fact that here God says that we should do it, Right? And not only does he say that we should do it, he says that when we do it, we should pray for one another. And then it says, so that you may be healed. You know the reason some of us are still struggling with the same sin we struggled with three years ago? Because we're the only people struggling with it. See, in reality, you don't go to battle with an army with one person, do you? And the devil has an army. He's beat some of us up so much and just <laughs> beaten some of us down so much that for some reason we know we can't win it, but we're, we're too afraid to invite somebody else into the battle, right? We fought with the same thing for months or years, and we're like, I'll just keep fighting, and eventually he'll get tired. No, he won't. See, in reality, if we, if we want to be healed from these things, if we really want to be healed from these sin things, then according to James, the way to do that, surefire way to do that, is to invite somebody else in to pray with us around that thing. And just because it's scary doesn't really mean we shouldn't do it. but I'm praying about it. Well, that's great. But the Bible says that we should pray about it. And then he goes and he says, the intense prayer of a righteous person is very powerful. This is James here. He says this statement, and this is the statement that I can't really get over this morning. 
He says, the intense prayer of a righteous person is very powerful. Because see, the reality of it is, um, I don't really think we believe that. Do you? Because as I was going through these things, let's just be honest with each other. I'm, I'm being honest and vulnerable about me. I've prayed for somebody who's suffering to see him suffer. Right? God, save him. Save him from the suffering. Save him from the suffering. Save him from the suffering. Still in it. Right? Let's be honest. God, it's so frustrating. I've prayed for somebody that's sick and seen them still be sick. Right? God, heal them, heal them, heal them, heal them, heal them, heal them. No. I've prayed about my sin and the sins of my friends before. To see it over and over and over and over and over again not be answered. And at some point in time, don't you just get to the moment where you're like, I don't think that I can pray for healing. God just doesn't listen. Or I don't think I can pray that people come out of suffering because God just doesn't listen. Or I, don't, I can't pray that God will save me or anybody else from my sins because God just doesn't listen. Have you been there? You don't have to be vulnerable, but you can. And we get kind of in our heads this mentality that, man, all we can pray for is that we'll wake up in the morning because we know that's safe. God's probably going to answer that. Or that we can get to work or we can park our car or we can eat some food. And then I see that verse and I'm like, <laughs> the intense prayer of a righteous person is very powerful. Wouldn't it be nice if we had one? So I start looking through that and I'm like, well, there's only two qualifiers, right? Like you, it's either intense or it's not, or it's either you're a righteous person or you're not. And intense really just means that it's urgent. But another definition for Intense is persistent, like we talked about last week. It's it's not this one time God heal them and then and then I'm done. But it's like you, you desire it to the point, and it's so urgent to the point where you're just begging God for it. See, the reality of it is, very few of us pray like that. And if your house was on fire, you'd call the fire department, right? And you're not getting off the phone until they get there, right? So I was breaking in your house. You're calling the cops, and you're not getting off the phone until they get there. Some you pass some person, they're having a heart attack. Like hopefully, <laughs> um, you're, you're not just going to call them and hang up and leave. You're going to stay on the phone until they get there. Well, well, do we pray like that? God, I'm not going to quit until you come. When you get here, when I see that you're doing something, when I see you're moving. Then, then I'll, then I'll quit. But maybe some of us, that's how we pray. Maybe we fixed half the problems in the room right there. Man, that's true. I'm just not intense. I don't, I don't, I don't pray like my house is on fire. I don't pray like it really matters. I don't pray like I really care. I just throw a, hey, God, heal him up there and then see what he does but it's not urgent. Maybe we fix half the problems with that, but the reality of it is, man, some of us do, we pray urgently and, and, and we're like, God, where are you at? Is it because I'm not righteous? How many, how many of you, uh, don't raise your hand, that's a horrible question. How many of us, man, that's why we've given up. God won't hear me because I'm not good enough. I've been there. 
God won't hear me because I'm not good enough. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't do enough. I don't, I don't come enough. I don't talk enough. I don't read enough. God won't hear me because blank. Well, see, the problem with that is that at the moment we come to know Jesus, he declares us righteous. At the moment you come to know Jesus at the cross, he says, you're good. Maybe not everything you do is good, but you are declared good. And, and God is the king of the universe. And you don't argue with the king. If God said you're good, nobody can come and say you're not. If God has declared you righteous, there's nobody, not even the devil himself, that can come up and say, no, he's not. See, because the reality is when God sees you, he still sees that you're good. So the, the answer here can't be, you're just not good enough. So what is it? And, and here's kind of where I think we are. I think a lot of us have decided that God is a whole lot like maybe our parents were or, or are or maybe you have been as a parent where you like go to the store and you tell your kid, if you be good... You can have this, whatever, right? If if you if you if you're quiet and you behave when you go through the line, I'll get you that candy bar, or before we leave, I'll get you that toy. And we think God is the same way. If I'm good, God will answer. If I'm good. God will come. If I'm good, God will do what I need him to do. We think God's the same way, and then we've started thinking, man, maybe maybe we're just not good enough. So we quit praying, we quit asking, and we quit seeking, and we quit believing, and we quit having that faith. But in 17, this is crazy that he puts this in here. He says, Elijah, who's a prophet in the Old Testament, was a man with a nature like ours. Yet he prayed earnestly, honestly, persistently, put whatever word you want to in there, that it would not rain and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. James jumps out of effective prayer into a story about prayer. And he, he brings up this Old Testament character that all these people would have known. And he talks about Elijah and he just tells the story and he says, Elijah was a man just like you and me. Has that ever hit you? These prophets who did these crazy things, they were people, they were flesh and blood just like you. Um, Peter who walked on water, he was just like you. There's no deity in that guy, he's just flesh and blood. Paul, James, all these people we look at as like heroes of the faith, all these people we look at as like, man, these are, these are the model for, for how you should follow Jesus. All these people were just people, just like you. What that means is God didn't love Elijah more than he loved you. He didn't somehow care more about Elijah more than he cares about you. That's not the mix here. He was a man just like you. He messed up just like you. He had problems just like you. He had issues just like you. He had, he had an ego probably sometimes, just like maybe some of us. Like he, he was a man. But it says that he, he prayed on, earnestly, honestly, he prayed intensely that it would not rain for three years and six months, and then it says, guess what happened? It didn't rain. This was his prayer for three years and six months. First of all, I don't know that I've ever prayed for anything every day for three years and six months, but he did. And for three years and six months, he would say, God, don't let it rain today. Don't let it rain today. Don't let it rain today. I see that cloud over there. Don't let it rain today. It's out over our head right now. Shut it up. Don't let it rain today. There doesn't need to be any rain. There's not going to be any rain. There's not going to be any rain. Don't let it rain. God, don't let it rain. It's three years and six months. And amazingly, for three years and six months, it didn't rain. I don't know what you call a miracle, but that seems like a miracle to me. I know it's not rained here for a while, but three years and six months is a long time. 
And maybe some of us are like, it's just a drought. It wasn't an answer prayer, it's just a drought. And that's why he throws the rest of the story in. It says, then he prayed again. This is a one-time thing, right? He's prayed every day for three years and six months that it wouldn't rain, and then here we just changed the prayer a little bit. Then he prayed again, and it said, and the sky gave rain and the land produced fruit. One day he walks out and he's like, you know what, God, let's let it rain today. Hadn't rained for three years and six months, and the day he changes his prayer to let's let it rain today, man, it rains. Maybe the drought itself, you, you can look at that and you can be like, I, I can explain that. Let's just say they're in the desert. Like, that's what it does there. But surely you don't believe it's a coincidence that maybe the one day he changes his prayer is the day it rains. And this is the story James tells. It's, it's a miraculous story, actually. I don't know that very many of us are gonna walk outside today, look up into the heavens and shout to God, hey, I need it to rain today. I don't know that many of us are gonna do that. The weather says it's not going to. So I'm not throwing that out there and mess up my faith. But he walks out there and he says, let it rain and it does. What I think is crazy about that is that's obviously God working right there in two verses. That was a God thing. It's not a you thing. It's not a him thing. It's not a me thing. That's a God thing. It's obvious. too big to be another thing. And God answers. But James is writing this letter years and years and years later. Why does he throw this in? And the reason is because he's writing it to a group of people that don't really believe for some reason that God can heal sick people. I've prayed it, and in my brain thought, it's not going to happen. He's writing this letter to a group of people that, that are in suffering, and they're like, God, I've been praying to get out of suffering. And what they need to know more than anything else is not that God is broken or not broken. What they need to know more than anything else is they are not broken. See, for so many of us, the reason we don't pray these prayers is not really in us that we don't believe God can answer these prayers and God can come through on these prayers. We just don't believe he'll do it for us. Man, God, he would do it for, he would do it for Elijah, no doubt. Elijah's a prophet, man. He's, he's a man of God. Obviously, God would come down and do something for that guy. Or yeah, obviously, God would answer it for them. They're way better than I am. Or man, obviously, God would answer it for them because he likes them better. He really likes their shoes right now or whatever. We, we put in all these different things and all these different excuses and all these different reasons why God can't and won't answer us. But the reality of it is, man, our prayers are not based on us. No more than our righteousness is based on us. Our prayers and their answers are not based on us. We are people just like Elijah was a person. We are people just like Peter was a person. We are people just like Paul was a person. And all those people had errors. All those people had mistakes. All those people had problems. And we're just like them. Peter walked on water for like, what, three seconds before he took his eyes off God and sank? And he said, God save me, and what? Immediately, he reached down and did it. Some of you guys, oh, I can't, I've taken my eyes off God, he's not gonna listen to me, he's not gonna answer me. Yeah, you cry out. Because it's not based on you. Some of you guys, man, there's no way in the world he would do those things for me. I've denied him, I've walked away, I've walked out of the church, I've, I've, I've been away for too long, there's no way in the world he would listen to me. Yeah, right. Peter denied him. He said before Peter denied him, you're gonna deny me, right? No, I'm not. Yeah, you are. But when you're done with all that, when you come back, I want you to strengthen and build up your brothers. I'm not done with you. So maybe somebody's, maybe God's saying that to somebody this morning. I'm not done with you. You think I'm done with you, but you're looking at you. You're not looking at me. If you look at me, I'll show you. I'm not done with you. I've got things for you to do. I've got a purpose and a plan for you. See, the reason our prayers are not effective is not because God has quit being effective. It's not even really because our formula is ineffective. It's because who, who are we focused on when we're praying? If I'm good enough, 
the question's wrong. If I'm faithful enough, your question's wrong. If I'm worthy enough, your question's wrong. See, in reality, I just want you to know, God loves you. Do you believe that? Some of you don't. God loves you. God loves you and you and you, and he came for you. And he died for you. He didn't come die just for me. He come for you. On the cross, he didn't die for other people. He died for you. And when he said, Father, forgive them, that was for you. When he come up out of the grave, that was also for you. When he said, you were good, that was for you. When he said, you're righteous, that was for you. When he said, he loves you, that was for you. When he said, he cares about you, that's for you. When he said, he provides for you, that was for you. When he said that we could pray and ask that people would be healed, that was for you. Actually, I don't know anything in here that you can be like, oh, that's just for one group or one person or, or, or one special class of people. There is none of that. There are no special classes at the cross. As for the cross, everybody is the same. There's one guy who's lifted up and his name is Jesus and everybody else is standing on level ground. So what we need this morning is not to be more good. Maybe God will answer us if we're more righteous. God said you're righteous enough right now. All we need is not more formula. This is in Romans, the, the Holy Spirit groans out for us and utterances we can't even understand when we can't pray for ourselves. What we need is to quit basing our prayers off of us. And start realizing that, man, we're praying to a very big, capable God. A God who we read about this morning who holds the very mountains in his hands. Who formed the very sea. A God who spoke and all of creation leapt into existence. That's the God we're talking about this morning. And if that's the God we're talking about, do you really not believe that he can set people free from suffering? Do you really not? If that's the God we talk, we're talking about this morning who breathed out the stars, do you really not believe that he can set the captive hearts free? If, if you're talking about the very God who formed the human body this morning, is the, do you not believe that God can touch and heal it in the, same very, in the very same way? See, the reality of it is this morning, most of us pray little bitty small prayers not because we're afraid God can't do it, but we're afraid that he won't do it. And it may mess with us. And if I pray little bitty things that I know are gonna happen, I'll never have to question if God is who God says he is. So we pray things like, God, get me some food. And God, wake me up in the morning. And what we should really be praying is, God, bring the rain, right? I don't care what the weatherman says and I don't care what the enemy says and I don't care what my friends say and I don't care what my family says. I just care what you say and God, you say you can and I believe you can. So this morning, <laughs> to the skeptic, um, I say, come try it. Come and see. Let's pray. Let's pray.